you haven't invited your friends, family, I encourage you guys to do so today. All right. As I mentioned uh, earlier that today is Father's Day. If you are a father or a father figure or a stepdad or caregiver, a foster father, I hope today you feel appreciated and affirmed by your kids on this special day. Sometimes like we forget... Um, uh, yes, because I'm also, I myself am a dad. Like we, we have, as men, we can feel quite inadequate. We can feel quite insecure. And we, we have a lot more questions and, 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 and fears, even whatnot. But so I want just all the men today to be affirmed of, let, let's bond together in the presence of God and, and, the, and the trepidations that we have, the anxieties that we carry. I pray that my prayers today, that all of those will be quelled by the reality of God's love for us. And it's strange, even now, for me to think that I, I've been a father for 14 years, right? And I, I spent so much of my life looking at my dad, looking at other adults growing up that Man, when do I get to uh, live that life? When do I get to? I mean, I, I spent so much time looking up to older men. Now, the next thing you know, that time has passed, and I myself am in the position, the people that I have kind of looked up to. And I'm not going to pretend to know all the things or, or to feel or, or live in the same way that I've those men that I've looked up to, but I think I'm beginning to understand a little more. And, and, and I'm beginning to experience a little more just um, the Father heart of God. So today, um, I really wrestled a lot. What message do I share? What really is appropriate on a day like this? And I thought, and the Holy Spirit just continued to lead me to be grounded, be founded in the love of Christ. So if you would meet me in the book of Romans, chapter 8. And I hope to just share just a, a brief word with you today. Romans chapter 8, uh, we are going to look at verses 31 to 35. Romans 8, 31, 35. The verses will be displayed up on the screen for you. And let's alternate one verse at a time. And this is a reading of God's word. What then shall we re respond uh, I'm sorry, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Friends, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we proceed on further? God, we thank you. God, we gather in your house. God, we crave. God, we desperately seek to encounter you as our Father. Would you affirm your beloved children and confirm them in the love of your son, Jesus Christ? God, no matter 
the trials, no matter the hardships that we face, living this life in this world, God. God, we need more than anything um, of your love, Lord, to be present in our lives. So, God, we pray not only for the understanding of the minds. Holy Spirit, do only what you can do at this time. Open up our hearts, Lord. God, initiate something. Initiate a profound work that we may live in the power and the affirmation of the truth of your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Apostle Paul in this text begins asking a series of questions. And these questions that he unpacks in chapter 8 of Romans is in response to what he shares earlier where he explains that we, all of humanity, all of the mankind, we are sinners and, and all of us, we have failed to live by God's standards. And that without the help of God, without the intervention of God, without the atoning work of Jesus Christ, that we would live in this um, eternal despair, that we would be tasked with this unsolvable puzzle, that we would be tasked with this incredible burden. And, 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 um, and, and Paul affirms us that Jesus Christ comes to us, that now therefore no condemnation for those that have been in confirmed in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that while deserving condemnation only, God adopts us as his beloved children. That in earlier verses, in verses 14 through 17, it says, now we call God not just God. God is now uh, affirmed to us as a father. And he purposely uses the language in the Aramaic. You understand, you have, you understand that this was written in the Greek language, but he includes the Aramaic language is conveying the tenderness and the intimacy of the Father, saying he's now his Abba. God that existed, God who cared for us, God who loved us from far distance on from eternity, that God is now, we have been adopted into the family of God, and we call God now our Abba Father. So there's a, there's a change in language and there's an introduction of a new way of understanding God and relating to God. Verses 26, 29, it says, Now in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Those who predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's a resounding affirmation of God's firm grip on his beloved children. Paul is saying, God is for us. He says, don't forget that truth. God is eternally now for you. He says, if God is for you, who is going to be against you? And now in verse 32, Paul is deliberately Echoing this famous narrative, if you're a Jew in Paul's time, that every living Jew understood and knew by heart the narrative that is mentioned in Genesis chapter 22. And he's alluding to what happened in Genesis 22 when he says in verse 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. We understand that verse to mean what God did for us. 
through his son, Jesus Christ, right? God in his sovereign love, God in his sacrificial love that he did not withhold his son. But Paul is bringing him that truth because in, in relation to what happened in Genesis chapter 22. What happened in Genesis chapter 22? It's a famous account of Abraham and his son, his only son, Isaac. Let me just kind of convey to you um, uh, just a briefly, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham, at the late age, um, God called him. He was a wealthy man. He was a prominent man. He was happy. He had thousands of servants. He, he had a pretty good life. One day, God comes to him and says, Abraham, I'm now going to call you, and through you and through your descendants, I'm going to establish you to be a very great nation. I mean, I, I've never founded a nation. I've never founded a country here before. And, and if you guys have ex experienced some starting a nation here, I, I assume not, right? So, I mean, let's suppose that we're starting a nation. What would be helpful to have if you're starting a country? You guys ever dream of that? How many of you guys, let me just, how many of you guys ever dreamt of being a president growing up? I was never one of those guys. I, I never, any, maybe one? Okay, Good. So we have no crazies here. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Maybe like, if you're starting a country, what would be helpful to have people that would occupy the country or the nation? Well, the problem with Abram and Sarah, his wife, was that they had no children of their own. Yet the promise of God comes to them. Abram, I believe, was 75 or, or around that age, and, and the wife, Sarai, was 65, well beyond the age of childbirth, childbearing. So Abram is holding on to this promise from God. Out of the blue, he appears to Abram, so I'm going to make you a great nation. Fast forward 20 years, no kids. Abram's thinking, God, you said something special is going to happen. You said you're going to make me into a great nation. Nothing happened. It prompts Abram to go cut across God's plan and, 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 and spends the night with the maidservant, Hagar, uh, and she buries him a son. And Sarai, which signed off on the transaction, gets filled with jealousy and contempt and says, you know what, I want her, I want him out of my sight. So Abram, the only descendant, only bloodline in Ishmael is driven out of the household. And God is still faithful to his promise. Years later, finally the son is born, Isaac. Do you know the meaning of the name Isaac? You guys know? Every Hebrew name bore a significant meaning. Isaac means laughter. When God told them you're going to bury my son, they laughed. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me, God? Are you kidding me? So they laughed. So the son's name became Isaac. <laughs> laughter. So appropriate, right? So simple. And now Abraham finally is able to grasp that, wow, the reality of God's promise is now upon us. We are going to be a great nation. It will take some time. It will take a lot of children, a lot of childbearing, a lot of multiplication. But now the reality of God's promise of calling him to be the father of nation is the reality. So can you imagine the love that Abraham had for his son 
Isaac. You are the only, I mean, Isaac was the only son. We have some only children in this uh, congregation. Imagine the love that you received. Imagine the favor, you privileged folks. You didn't have to fight for food growing up. You didn't have to get beat up by your older siblings. Come on, somebody. All of your parents' love belonged to you. All you, all about you. Isaac was that dude. Growing up healthily, imagine the quality, the choices, the food that Sarah and Abraham fed Isaac. Receiving the finest home education available. Having servants upon servants at its disposal. One day God says, Abraham, it's time. I want you to sacrifice your son. Your one and only son, Isaac. I want him. Next Thursday, wake up. Make this hike up the Mount Moriah. And there, present him. As a sacrifice, living sacrifice to me. Living sacrifice, guys, it's literally you're bound at the altar. There's wood beneath you. And in just a moment's time, you light the match. Not not light a match. I don't know what Abraham had to do. (laughs) Start a fire. And that literally was a living sacrifice that God demanded from Abraham. And you guys know the rest of the story. Right before as Abraham was about to strike down with a knife to to end the life of his only son, Isaac, the voice of God comes and says, stop, Abraham, stop. I prepare for you a ram offering. Look behind the bush. You will see a ram whose horn is caught between the thorny bush, now sacrifice. And we, this is an incredible story of God sparing Abraham, killing his own son. We're so glad of that story, aren't we? Because we fear that God would, what happens if God would demand that from us? And we take delight and comfort in knowing that, oh, God would never do that for us. He was just testing Abraham. Paul is bringing bringing up that incident. Folks, remember what happened, brothers and sisters? Remember what happened with Abraham? Paul is saying, well, the same situation, except now God did not spare his own son. So there's an incredible juxtaposition, juxtaposition that's happening here. And while Abraham was spared... From, that, from killing his own son, God did not. And, you know, a lot of the church historians and church scholars convey that the same mountain, Mount Moriah, uh, later becomes uh, the hills of Golgotha. So you guys know the place of crucifixion, the place of Jesus' eventual death, it's the same place 
So there's a crazy like overlap and superimposing of what God did or what God spared in making Abraham spare his son Isaac. God this time, there was no interrupting voice from heaven. There was no stopping as the son, the only son was about to be slain. When it was God's turn, it says, not this time. So Paul is saying, Paul is saying, God loves his son so much. Remember, only begotten son. God loves Jesus in the same way that Abraham loved and adored his son, only son, Isaac. You guys getting this? You guys have to catch this. But this time, Paul is conveying the love that he had for his son, Jesus. Now, this is a comparative emotion. The love that he has for his son, his Jesus, and the love that he has for you and me is now one took precedence. One took priority of the other. He said, God, this time I valued this so much more that I'm willing to lay down the only son that I have, the most precious thing. And Paul is saying, this is your worth. This is the value that Heavenly Father has of you. And Paul is saying, be affirmed of this love. Be affirmed of this truth because you matter to God. Because you are this preciously treasured in the eyes of God. Guys, why, why does this matter so much for us on a day like today? What are we trying to learn? What are we, take, what are we trying to take away from this passage here? I think as, as many parents or even fathers, like, you know, uh, the best thing, the best thing that we can do for our own children, the best gift that we can give to them it, it is even more than the love that you have for them. What they need, what they crave, what's more important than your love for them is your commitment to Jesus Christ. It's for your children to understand that, yes, it's important that I'm loved. It, it, it's quite, it's, it's crucial that they are affirmed in our love for them. But what they need from us the most is that we have been committed, we have been confirmed in the faith of Jesus Christ. That your identity as the son of God, as your identity as a child of God, your identity as God's beloved, precedes your identity as a father. Amen? So all you dads out there, crave, seek the love of Christ in your life. And if you're a father, the best thing that you can do is surrender fully to God. In the same way, in this case, we take, we, we learn from the example of Abraham Abraham was willing to lay down. It's crazy, right? How can we, if we love our kids, if we love our children, 
How can we lay down the very love that we have? The best thing that you can do is surrender fully to God. And Apostle Paul continues to lead us in this journey of being loved by the Father. He says these things in verses 35 and on. And then he goes on, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. He's talking about the reality of being a Christian in the first century. All of Jesus' followers, all of those converts into the faith, being confirmed in the faith of Jesus Christ, they lived a different kind of life. Simply because you professed Jesus Christ as the Messiah, that your life was inherently different than the rest of the world's population. Upon professing Jesus as Lord, you were surrounded with tribulations. Your life was at risk. There was more distress. Persecution was not an exception. It was an expectation if you were a follower of Jesus Christ. There was famine, nakedness. The, the basic necessities of life were no longer guaranteed. And Paul is saying, I know the life that you are living. I know the life that you have taken on for yourself simply because you have made Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's saying in spite of your troubles, in spite of your tribulations and distress, even in your hunger, not having clothes to wear, not even having community of friends. It says, now understand it's the love of Christ that holds you together. It's the love of Christ that binds you. And because of the love of Christ, we are able to conquer through any of the troubles that we, we may face in this life. Paul is affirming with these words. He says, nothing, nothing shall separate you from the love of God. I understand we don't really face persecution. I don't imagine for a second that any of you, because of your faith in Jesus, because of your commitment to follow Jesus, is facing any kind of life-endangering life situations in your personal life. And because of your faith in Jesus, I don't imagine many of us facing hunger. You guys have no clothes to wear because of your choice to follow Jesus Christ. I understand. Probably not many of us. You know, I, I thought about, I said, God, why, why this passage I kept meditating on this passage for the entire week. God, I don't, like, why? Why this on Father's Day? God, why this message on Father's Day? And, and in my crazy, like, Father's Day reflections, and I thought about maybe we don't face persecution. Maybe we don't face these hardships. But I thought about the pressures of being a father. I thought about the pressures of being a man. I feel like many of us in this room 
We carry these burdens. We carry the burdens of responsibility. We carry the burdens of, man, I got to take care of my family. We carry these burdens of, man, I got to make it right. I got to be advancing in my career. I got to make sure that we have food on the table. We, gotta, we have all of these things that we have to worry about. And I began to think about perhaps like we are found in this place of insecurity and fear and even great anxiety. Some of you men, are you, are you, is this, are you, are you connecting here? Perhaps we feel we have this notion of like, man, sometimes we get overwhelmed. Sometimes we get lost in, in, in the responsibility of being a man, man of the house, as a husband, as a father. Yesterday morning, something happened to me that I had an experience in the last four years. Four years ago, I had my first episode of what's known as anxiety attack. Um, I remember waking up in the middle of the night. I, I felt a sudden uh, thumping on my chest. My heart was beating very fast and loudly. And I felt this tingling sensation going down on my left arm. In the middle of the night, I woke up and I was awakened by, it wasn't pain. It was something that my, I've never experienced my body. I've never experienced that before. I, I remember waking up and, and had many thoughts. And, and, you know, that time it took days for me to even, like, talk to my wife about it. I, I re, and then later I found out, well, I talked to a bunch of friends. I talked to some uh, people in ministry and, and in, someone in the medical profession. Said, oh, Scott, you just suffered your uh, first anxiety attack. Okay. And, and I remember at the time I was going through uh, a season of where I just felt like I was so overwhelmed. There's some issues at church and there's some, you know, um, people's lives that I was kind of roped and pulled into and just, just things just I couldn't have any answers for. After months of that journeying on, I, 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 remember, I, I remember I had that episode. And yesterday morning I woke up, suddenly my heart's pounding. Um, I, my, I just, just overwhelming sensation, and I immediately knew what was happening because I had experienced this before. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm breathing hard and, and uh, what's the word, like hyperventilating, and like, and my emotions, and I begin to cry, and, and you know, and my wife was uh, walking by, and she was on her way to. Go for her morning walk, and I grabbed her. Say, honey, I, 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 I don't feel right. And in that brief moment, I just unloaded. I just unpacked and said, honey, I can't, I can't do it. There was this overwhelming sensation, and I knew that it wasn't just what I had encountered this week. It had been again weeks and months, and and being compounded, being overwhelmed. You know, word tribulations, it, it's the, the graphic image is the enclosing of the surrounding walls. That's how they perceive tribulations. 
that there's pressure mounting because the space that you occupy is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I had this sensation yesterday, and I just broke down crying. And it's the sense of, I can't do this. I don't have the answers for. I'm not smart enough, and I'm certainly not strong enough. Whatever it is that I'm facing in my life, I just don't have it. And then she forced me to <laughs> say, wake up. You're going to go for a walk. Some of you guys know I hate walking. I love exercise, but I hate walking. There's no, like walking is so inefficient. But she said, we're going to walk to a donut shop. That was enough for me. That was big enough incentive. And I'm walking, and I'm walking. It's about a mile and a half, two miles. Felt like five miles. And the whole time, you know, she's talking to me. She's holding my hand. She's like, the whole time I'm reminded, it's not mine to carry. It's not mine to carry. It's not my burden. It's not my weight. And God kept speaking over and over again. The verses come to me, all who are heavy laden. Take upon my yoke, for my yoke is light. And it's as if like I'm psyching myself out, as if like I'm telling myself, convincing myself, because that's literally the only thing that I could do. God, this weight that I carry, the, the pressure that I feel, the tightness of my chest, the tightness in my mind, all of these things, God, it's not mine to carry. It's not mine to carry. And God began to speak these verses. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor, nor th not things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God. And for me, I know what it is. It's this notion of I have to do my work well. It's this notion of I have to be a good pastor. I have to be a good friend. I have to be a good dad. All of these things come to me as unsolvable, unsurmountable tasks where I don't have the ability to attend to myself. And the only thing that I could cling on to is the love of Christ. What God thinks of me. Why God values me. It's to be reminded of the simple gospel that it's to of no attribute or no accolades no ability or achievements of my own. Except for the sheer fact that God has loved me. That he has called me his own. He has adopted me. I'm able to call him Abba, Father. Friends, I want to remind you of the simple truth of the gospel. 
whatever you weight, whatever weight that you may be carrying, whatever tightness in your heart that you may be experiencing, I want to say the same thing what God conveyed to me yesterday morning. It is not your burden to carry, to be free of that. Be reminded of the simple gospel and the love of Jesus Christ, that you have been affirmed in his love, that neither death, not even death, which is the greatest separator, the great divider, nothing could pull you away from the love of God. There's nothing, nothing in this creation of the things of eternity, nothing can separate you from God's love. On this Father Day, Father's Day Sunday, it is my prayer that you would have the courage, that you would have the comfort to call God Abba, Father. Maybe the image of Father, maybe the language of intimate Father confounds with the experience that you have in your life. Maybe you have an estranged relationship with your own parents, with your own dad. I understand that. Maybe you grew up in a home that was absent of a father figure. Maybe there's a great dissonance and cacophony when you call God father. Maybe the, the, the trauma and the pain and, 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 and the emotions, that un, unhealthy emotions confound and fill your minds. But even through these struggles, we lay down all that we have. Say, God, come. Come to me with your loving love. Come to me everlasting grace and God in you and in your love I'm able to fully rest friends let me read for you the text that I had read earlier and we move on to time of worship what then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? His one and only son. One and only son, the most precious thing to him, he did not withhold for you. May we be affirmed in the love of our Father today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we forget oftentimes of the power that is in us. We often forget the reality of your love that fills